Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today is Judge Nicolene Jensen van Nieuwenhuizen from the Gauteng Division of the High Court. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for inviting me. It's a privilege being here. We're looking forward to continuing our discussion on uh, our ladies from the judiciary. So to start with, did you always envision pursuing a, a legal career? Not really. I think it happened by accident. Um, when I decided to go to university, I had a choice between studying accounting and law. And decided on law, by the moment I started with my studies, I just realized that I enjoy it tremendously. And it's never stopped. I still, up until today, I've got a passion for the law. But it did develop. It wasn't there from the start. Um, it gradually grew on me. And can you tell us about some of the milestones in your journey to become a judge of the, the North Gauteng High Court? I was very privileged to have a mother and father that was very supportive. So when I decided to um, embark on this journey, uh, the family did not have the necessary financial means. I obtained a study loan, studied three years full-time, and then obtained employment at a deeds office as a deeds examiner to start paying back my student loan. And I finalized my LLB after hours. From there, I, I've always thought I want to do litigation. I want to be in court. And I was then a public prosecutor in Boxburg. And I was quite right. I enjoyed it tremendously, being a pro public prosecutor in court the whole day. And the next natural progression was joining uh, the board, the Pretoria, Pretoria Society of Advocates, colloquial known as the bar. I joined the bar in 1994, and it was yes, just bliss. It was the best thing I could do. Practice for your own account. Um, I became a silk, took silk status in 2011, and thereafter was appointed to the bench in 2013. And what is silk status? Silk status is your peer group. In other words, the other advocates at the Society of Advocates decide whether your practice and, um, yes, and the way you conduct yourself in court, whether that justifies conferring senior status on you. So in other words, if one has been in practice for a number of years, normally 10 to 15 years, and then you may apply for silk, you um, lodge an application with all your history of the many cases you've done and so forth, and then there's a panel or a committee that sits and looks for all these applications. So it's really a, a peer group review, and then it's decided that, yes. So it is quite... Being at a bar and being an advocate, it is, it is a milestone. It mm -hmm. is quite an achievement to, 
to be um, silk is referred to because then you obtain a silk robe. And that's why it's referred to as you taking silk. But what it entails is that um, the president confers senior status on you. So then you're a senior advocate. Now, you'll hear from time to time um, advocates being referred to, for instance, as Advocate Smith SC. I don't know whether you've heard that term, but um, the SC is senior counsel. Okay. Well, thank you very much for elaborating. One of the things that is striking me is is the differences as uh, our world is evolving, and, and particularly in a media point of view where media is highlighting prevalent and high-profile cases, mm. whether cases are, are televised or broadcast on radio. And with that, they tend to, these cases tend to become topical points of discussion amongst the general population. But the issue is the public are not legal experts. Oh, that's and when judgments are made that don't suit public opinions, little, you have these little mini furrows that <laughs> erupt. How do you contend with this? Um, one remains a person. So I had one very specific matter when I drove down the street, or well, when I drove to work, there were this big banners, you know, there at uh, the newspaper, um, which had some rather shocking <laughs> headlines about a specific judgment that I did deliver. And one is taken aback because you are proud of what you do. There's a lot of responsibility and you always want to apply yourself. But after that, once one starts thinking, um, so that there is the initial shock. It, it's not nice to um, be seen in a bad light whilst you are absolutely trying to do your best. But one, one reflect on that um, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to be true to yourself as a judge, to give judgments that is um, without fear, favor, or prejudice. And as long as you have done that, then um, what the public then out there, and there will always be opinions, you then sort of fall in place as long as you can satisfy yourself that you did your best, you apply the law, to the best of your ability. There's been a very clear thread which has come through in my conversations with your colleagues mm. as well as yourself, and that is about the independence. Yes. And one of your colleagues mentioned that there's an oath that you take as, mm. as a judge. Could you elaborate a, a little bit more on this with the aspects of without fear or favor? I think those are, are really key points. It is indeed. I think, um, well, first of all, maybe I should start again about the work. It is a lot of responsibility. It is very lonely in a sense because you get a case that you must apply your mind to independently and from no outside influences and the without fear or favor comes in where one closes your mind to exactly that, to outside influences. And you go, well, maybe go is not a good word, 
you almost focus so much and on the task at hand, on the job you are doing, that it happens almost, fro- it happens that you, you forget about the outside world. And I think the biggest thing is, and that's all my colleagues, all the judges, is the passion for your work. Absolute passion. So you, when you do your work, the outside world falls away. One must be very uh, mindful that one does not from time to time impose your own ideas about things. Um, That is not what a judge should do. One should simply apply the law without fear. It does not matter what type of case it is, whether it's a high-profile case, whether it's a criminal case. One can never act differently because there is this um, maybe something in the air, something around there that creates this fearful situation or creates um, one, if one's judgment reads like this, it might go in favor of that one and maybe that will be the more popular um, way that a judgment go. But that is exactly what judges do. You, you close yourself off from the world almost and um, yes you, you give your judgments without fear favor or prejudice such a noble profession <laughs> and very challenging it is but it's very rewarding very rewarding mm. could you share with us a few of your most memorable cases I am um, one case that really well, it still stacks in my mind and I think more my heart. I did a criminal trial of a where a 14-year-old girl uh, was an eyewitness to a mother being shot by two, the two accused. It was very, yes, they opened the door, a mother lived in Jeppistown in the hostels, oh, her grandmother, and she visited the grandmother who sold sweets and stuff to keep the pot boiling and had little fit cookies and stuff like that and she visited her grandmother and the next thing the door opened it's a one room and her grandmother was shot and afterwards it appears that there was some other turf fight about who's selling where but in any event she came to court and she testified she was so so brave I mean she saw the two perpetrators she was um, testifying in another room through closed circuit but still I was so proud of her and that will always you know this this courage of this little girl and she was writing exams as well as that stage so we had to adjourn for a day or two but she came back and I said to her you know your grandmother will be so proud of you because you came back and you testify and you had that courage and that yeah, that always stood out for me. I think that's the criminal cases tend to be more. Um, it might stand more out because there's more emotion and humanity involved. The the civil cases, it is more interesting on an academic level. It is not that. Um, that it touches one's heart. The, the storytelling yes, aspect. Yes, yes, exactly. You do get cases from time to time, medical negligence and so forth. But in my experience, in my view, that human story that's been told, that's always been um, something I, I'm a 
people's person and I've got a lot of empathy and sympathy with people. So it's always been, people's stories has been interesting to me always and that really touches my heart. Mm. Thanks for sharing. When I was doing some research on you for the show, I, I came across, admittedly, it's, it's an older article now um, <laughs> from 2013, which was published in City Press. And it stood out for a couple of reasons. Firstly, at the time of writing, it noted that there were fewer than 30% of our judges were female. How much further would you say the gender dial has shifted in terms of gender transformation in the judiciary today? I think when, um, just before I arrived for the interview, I had a quick look at the percentage at in our division, Gauteng Division, and presently it is 40% female judges and 60% male. I do believe that there is definitely, although slowly, um, progress is being made in um, appointing more female judges. And the recent appointments, they were out of the four appointments, if I stand to be corrected, three females. Um, good appointments, strong women, mm. good appointments. And um, so I think it is yes, moving slowly but surely, but well, in a positive direction. Yeah, th there's definitely a bit of an evolution looking at that, we, we say, assuming that, that Gauteng was also 30%, mm. that in, in five years to yes. grow by 10%. And as I understand from uh, uh, Judge Cynthia Pretorius, retirement age is, is 70. So you, you kind of have to work out a bit of a generation before you can yes. appoint new yeah. individuals. That is indeed so, yes. And it seems to me that the judges that are appointed these days tends to be younger people. Um, in our previous era, the judges that were appointed for some or other reason, were all judges that almost finished with their practices and they were older men. The appointments weren't necessarily of young people. And I think it's a good thing that younger people get appointed. Good because, energy. Yes, yes. And um, I think it's one, well, that's maybe not a good, but if one tends to get older, you, you sort of, your world becomes a bit more um, secluded, closed, maybe not in all instances, but younger people, like you say, vibrant. You're still out there and you're living and you're seeing things. So I think a good balance. There should be wisdom and the experience and there should also be this new energy. And the second element that I wanted to remark on from that article was that one of the, the questions that Chief Justice Mocheng Mocheng asked was which candidate the Judicial Service Commission should recommend when faced with two women. One who makes it her business to make the situation better for other women, and the other who is just a woman with good legal qualifications. And I thought about that and I went, a male candidate would probably never be asked a question like this. And at the same time, it seems to be harder for women to open doors and we also have a duty to keep the door open for other women. What's your view? I did find the question rather curious. Um, first, maybe I should give a bit of background. I am, 
have always prided myself of doing my work to the best of my ability when I was still obviously at the bar and I treated all my colleagues with respect and I was I got the same respect you know it was vice versa it did not matter whether it was male or female one as a woman do want to empower other women so I did when possible um, one could appoint if you senior counsel junior councils and um, which were women and then one could send work if you've got too much work you can refer an attorney let me put it like this I was always very proud of who I am and what I have achieved and like I say I was um, I've always been in a world where there's respect and so this question on a personal level first um, was the first time in my life that I felt I failed as a woman and that was always a female. That was quite, that was my first reaction. I failed, you know. I did not achieve this that was expected of me. I did not know that that would be a requirement or um, one of the things that I had to do. Thinking in hindsight, um, it was obviously important, or it is important for the Chief Justice that women... Um, do be seen to be doing things for other women, which I do not think is um, a bad thing. But when you, as you've pointed it out now, it is curious that male <laughs> male candidates um, are not asked the same question. And at that time, I never thought of that angle. But now you've mentioned it. It. I can only say it is interesting. And um, that males do not need to uh, tell or convince the Judicial Commission that they've actually promoted other males and that is why they should be appointed. It's, it's a curious question. Well, one that you passed because <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't be here today. <laughs> Gender quotas in the workplace tend, uh, well, sometimes they're not universally accepted, and it goes for everything that we've been speaking about now, on, on being posted, on, on merit, on mm. who you are and what you bring to the table. But when you've got uh, a society which in, in certain environments have been male-dominated, it almost restricts access. And I, after doing these conversations for going on, on five years and, and hearing different perspectives, I'm of the opinion that in order to promote equality and increase the ratio of women in decision-making roles, that we do need quotas. What's your view on the role of legislation to drive behavioral change? Well, I, I can only answer that question from where I am in the legal fraternity. My sense is that it is more public perception that hampers women succeeding. My, as I've indicated at the time I was at the bar, um, there wasn't a difference whether I was a male or female. I did my work. I worked extremely hard because it's my passion and I succeeded. 
What did become more difficult when I obtained senior, senior status is the quality of work. My male colleagues then tended to get a better quality work. But what I realized is that it's not necessarily their fault or the fault of the attorneys. The public decides which type of advocate they want to appoint normally. There are attorneys who also have their favorites and so forth. But if you think high-profile cases that's been televised and that's been in the news for, what, the past 10, 15 years, that is what the public see. No big corporation, no government department, no one who um, appoints counsel in high-profile cases appoints female counsel. So the public perspective out there is that, look, Males do a better job, which is absolute not absolutely not so. There are very competent female uh, advocates, SCs. It's just, I think, if public it in our profession to have a quota system will not work. It might give women some women who do not necessarily um, get exposure. It might give them exposure to progress. But at the end of the day, and that is my view, it is public perception out there that um, is hampering um, women in the law to progress. Because it's their, it's their call. It's their choice of who mm. they want for, for representation. Indeed. That's interesting. And I think that part of we, we, one of the questions that we spoke about earlier was about the, the media exposure and mm. prevalence. And if you have more women in more visible roles, in the same way that watching a, a television series, you are influenced yes. or you've got an awareness around you. No, definitely. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today, we're talking to Judge Nicolene Janser van Nieuwenhuizen from the Gauteng Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of the show, Judge Janser van Nieuwenhuizen spoke about her early developments in her career as she migrated into the field of law. We also spoke about some of her cases and experiences within her career as, as a judge. Judge Jensen van Nieuwenhuizen, one of the things that I've encountered with our world is that it is becoming increasingly smaller. We are far more networked and connected, which sort of brings this global environment in. From my understanding, legal is and, and the law profession is is very country specific. Could you expand a little bit more on that and if we have any influences beyond our immediate geographic uh, jurisdiction? The, it is indeed so that different countries <coughs> have totally different legal systems. Our legal system is based on the hand on the Roman, still the Roman Dutch system, and on the other hand on the English law. We as Commonwealth countries have the same law, uh, legal system in New Zealand, for instance, and Canada. And in that sense, 
if one want to expand, um, well, first of all, practicing law, it is possible. Australia the same. One can um, legally train people that's been admitted in South Africa. Um, can And even in England, one can do your pupillage there and be admitted to the inn, which is there. They've got the barristers and the solicitors. Um, it is more difficult with the U- European countries such as France, um, Spain, Portugal, well, for that matter, Asia countries as well, Asian countries. Um, and in that sense, one is then more, uh, maybe more, a little bit more prohibited. But yes, we took these, the African court as well. And so our judges with the capabilities, this international criminal court with from time to time, South African judges are appointed to. So with the the knowledge, the skills, the, the legal principles that South African judges have, it does happen from time to time that we're not only bound to South Africa, but are appointed to different other forums. And if there is a, a, an instance or a case that occurs in one country, say it happened uh, as a South African committed something, is there a, uh, a, a deportation to be tried within SA courts or do South African citizens have, have a right to be tried in a South African court? It depends on what exactly the nature of the... I don't know whether you refer to criminal conduct or whether you refer to uh, maybe a car crash and there's damage or rather car accident. Normally, and that's the first point of departure, it's that the country where the offence occurred, that country will have the jurisdiction, whether you're an African citizen or not. Um, so what will happen is when um, a person that committed a criminal activity in another country who sought in that country, and um, the criminal comes to South Africa to hide here, basically, then there will be extradition if there are treaties between the countries and so forth. So it is almost more that if there is a South African criminal or persons who um, allegedly have committed criminal activities that the South African government would then ask the country to which these persons have decided to um, go to extradite the people to face uh, the law in our country where this where they've committed the crime. Or oh, yes. So the nation where an act has been committed is is the legal yes. jurisdiction. So whatever offence has uh, occurred, that's where the responsibility sits. Indeed. And according to those, um, the, the legal system of that country, what happens um, often, not often, but it happens that uh, tourists go to a certain country yes. in the east and they're not aware of what is accepted in that country because they're not used to the legal system. And the tourists could do something totally innocent, not meaning to offend or not meaning to commit a crime. 
But in terms of the laws of that country, it is a crime. And there has been warnings, and one should be very careful. If you visit a country and you're not sure what is acceptable or not, to make sure. Because your government can't do anything for you. If you've committed that crime in that country, the, the laws of that country apply, and you are going to be dealt with accordingly. And they've got, you know, looking at, at the East and my, my limited knowledge, they have got severe penalties in place for infringements. They do, and also uh, a big problem is the, once again, well, not all females, that do the drag carrying um, yes. to other countries and then end up there where they only wanted to earn some extra money. They earn, end up there in, um, in prisons that's got horrific conditions. They have family at home, some of them children, and one should be very careful and always bear that in mind when, um, when you go to another country. Be very mm. mindful that it does not matter what our legal system is. It is that legal system that applies. Well, thank you for sharing that very educational point. Um, I think that uh, it, it's a really significant mm point on understanding where you are, the environment you're in, and context of what you do. Now, turning towards more of a personal perspective, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who've made significant achievements in their respective fields is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So some people will speak about hard work or perseverance mm. or a particular person what would you say have been some of the factors that have contributed to your success? First of all, I am a very positive person. So any challenge that would arise or did arise in my career, I would attack or um, deal with it in a positive manner. I do not tend to get... Um, depressed or to get to to be downhearted when there is a challenge. I rather try to use that to my advantage. So that on the one hand it's a personal what I am like and then the hard work the work is not hard if you have a passion for what you're doing. Then it you want to do it. As I've said I've got a lot of empathy and sympathy of people so what I did enjoy when I was still in practice is to assist people out there that's grassroots level and to see the absolute change it makes in their lives so that those factors I think cumulatively positiveness want to be there for other people hard work definitely but also overcoming obstacles not being um not overly sensitive and not to allow obstacles to to be bigger than you. You must do what your heart tells you to do. And it's been my experience. Anyone can do anything as long as you're passionate and the drive that you want to do that is the most important thing. I completely agree with you there. I think if you've you if you've set a focal point mm that no matter what, you can overcome those, those challenges and you can make it happen. Yes, and that's 
And maybe a day or two or sometimes a situation arises that one feels taken aback. And that is normal. Um, that is totally normal. It's more the way that you then move forward. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from that? And how am I going to get over this? That is personal growth. And it's also growth in one's career. That was what I experienced. And who would you say have been some of the, the key women or a strong women in your life? Look, my mother, we've got very strong women in our family. My mother, my maternal grandmother, my father had two, well, I still do have two aunts. So the women in my family growing up had a big influence on my life. Also the males, it was, I was not um, raised in a male-dominant family. We, I was raised in a family where males and females were equal. So they all you treat each other with respect and nothing was impossible. It didn't matter whether you were a girl or a boy. Um, we were learned to go and pursue what you want to do. So definitely the women when I grew up, the close family members. And as I got older and focused in one's career, I can't really um, isolate one single person. I think the women that has done, there are so many strong women that that's done so much that it's hard for me to really isolate someone since I've now started practicing and being more moving upwards in my career. And can you share with us a few of the pivotal moments in your life growing up? Oh, that's a good question. I grew up very um, balanced and without much turbulence. It was a very typical family-orientated upbringing. Um, School years, there were nothing exceptional, nothing that's really stood out or any upheavals. So in that sense, I do not know whether one is privileged because I think the more challenges you have, the more um, you prepared adult life. So I've really, one should almost say, have had a boring life. <laughs> Very privileged. But <laughs> I think your life's far from boring, <laughs> especially with what you do now. It's, it's in, in, incredible in, in terms of the, I think the more changes. That, yes, I, I'm more talking about my years as a child. You know, I was just happy and I was in this family unit, this warmth and... Safe. Very safe. Very safe and... So nothing really transpired during my ch- you know, my years as a child that would that changed me in any way. So looking at that as as family life going through evolving to the point that you're at today, what would you say have been some of the best lessons that you've learnt in your career? Well, first of all, never be overconfident. Always, always, if every matter, and, and, and law, and I think it, uh, it applies to all the work one does. It doesn't matter what you do. Carefully consider what you're doing. Prepare properly. Um, go almost the extra mile. And the lessons I have learned is was times where I was overconfident, where I did not 
apply my mind to a case, and that was when I was still practicing. Um, and the result was that I missed a point or two. So I think that's a lesson that I've learned and that I've applied since. Be always be prepared. Make sure that you have applied your mind already before you go to court. Um, other lessons... Yes, it's maybe not a lesson. I've just always believed in kindness and um, respect for people around you. And that has stayed me well my whole life. So it's not necessarily a lesson. It is just uh, the way that I... They're good values. Yes, and that is absolutely my parents, first of all, my father more. I grew up... We will learn that no one is, there's no one better than you. We are all just who we are. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter whether you are this CEO of a big corporation. That's what you do. But what who you are is inside you. And that is important. If you meet someone, it's the integrity that's important. Not we are all the same. No one is better than anyone else. You judge someone on the integrity. So I am. I did grow up and I always be thankful to my father and it always stood me well, you know, all these years um, to to be able to live that life and it, it brings just um, brings a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic foundation that you, it's almost like that, when it says a, as a reference point or that's something that you can always rely on because yes. those are what values are. And finally, as we close the conversation today, could you please share a few words of wisdom or or inspiration that you'd like to impart to young ladies that are listening to us? Yes, I would be very privileged if I could inspire any of the young ladies listening today. My advice would be make sure what you want to do. It is not a problem. If you're not sure, then you... You carry on and you do other things, but once you are sure what you want to do, then you pursue that. It is possible. It is possible for anyone to do anything they want, as long as they put their heart into it and work hard and pursue. Do not stop. Do not be disheartened. Pursue what you want to do, and you will be successful. Thank you very much for that strong message I'm sure it will motivate people that are are listening to us and we really appreciate you taking your time out today to share your life story with us it was really a pleasure thank you for having me you have been listening to Womanity Woman in Unity on Channel Africa The African Perspective and we have been talking to Judge Nicolene Janser van Neuvenhuizen from the Gauteng Division of the High Court